Well, good morning. I found myself several times this week and over the last few weeks. Um, I love to read history books, and I found myself thinking, oh, I've just lived a chapter in a history book today, in this moment, I'm watching something on the news or reading something, and I'm like, wow, this is going to be in those history books that I, that I read from 100 years ago that people read in the future. And the weight of that and the awe of that and the, um, the times in which we live are extraordinary. They're astounding. And even to think, as I thought about um, votes being cast this week, when we think about 160 million, or I don't know what the final number is, but I'm close, I think, plus or minus, um, thinking about those being voices, those being people, those being uh, shouts and cries going up and going out. It's, it's sobering, it's weighty, isn't it, to live in these times? And I think as Sarah opened our service today, and for all of us, and, and we look at the election and we, we see uh, the differences in our nation and we see the divide and we probably talk to our friends and our family and we go, oh, wow, we have a difference of opinion here. We have a difference of perspective. We talk to one another in our church community and we say, wow, we have a difference of perspective. We have a difference of opinion here. And what I love is that that the Lord's not afraid of those differences. The Lord's not afraid of those opinions. The Lord's not afraid of those differences. And he doesn't want to gloss over them. And he doesn't think that they're insignificant either. He doesn't think that the cries of 160 million people going up are insignificant. He, he views those as significant because he honors the authority that we've implemented. And he says, I honor that and I honor the voices I was thinking about Jesus' discipleship group, that those disciples, those 12, you know, those weren't just like the people who showed up and they were like, they just wouldn't leave. These were people where Jesus was like, will you come and follow me? They were, they were handpicked. They were people Jesus went and picked. And, you know, he didn't pick everybody who thought the same. I, I think Matthew probably wasn't that favored in the group. He was the compromiser, the tax collector, the one who was seen as aligning with Rome, potentially greasing his pockets with, with different, uh, you know, really unethical ways of getting money. He had a zealot in the group who believed there should be a forceful overthrow of the Roman government. And he's like, yeah, this seems like a good balance in my group. This seems like a good way to move my kingdom forward. The Lord's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of that in any way. He's not afraid of seeing his kingdom advanced by people who see the world from different ways. And so as we move forward as a community and as a culture, let's not view this time as, oh man, we're at an impasse, we're at a stalemate, we can't move forward. Let's ask the Lord, Lord, let's move forward together. Let's listen. Lord, you, you saw it fit to have such diversity in your own inner circle, you can move us forward and you can make the kingdom bigger and you can make the kingdom better and you can make the kingdom broader. Not because we think the same, but because we think differently. So let's, let's use this time to press. 
to not become weary in well-doing, but to press. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, where am I going with this? Uh, That's just my prelude to my message. That's just my preamble. As you know, we've been in this series talking about anchors for the soul. And one I want to talk about today is an anchor called service, or serving, or serve, or being servants, however we want to There's lots of different references in the New Testament, but I want us to explore service as being an anchor for our soul. And as I was thinking about this and and preparing, I want to focus in three areas. I want to focus in uh, service and, and serving as being a calling, as being something that we are called to as followers of Jesus. The second thing I want to look at are some practical aspects of service and serving. And the third thing I want to look at has to do with leadership and how we serve well in these times. So I was thinking about this idea of serving and servants and this this idea of calling, and I thought of my brother Jay. And not every one of you know who my brother, he passed away uh, about nine years ago, and he had Down syndrome. And But he he did so many things. He, He reminded me a little bit of like Forrest Gump, when uh, Forrest Gump would say he would do, you're like, what did Forrest Gump do? Jay did those different things. He went to Bible college. He lived in many different countries, and he skied, and he horseback ride, and he did all sorts of things. He was an extraordinary guy. Uh, He was also my brother, and so he was super annoying, um, as brothers are. And so when I was thinking about this idea of serving, um, Jay does not come to mind. Um, there's a lot of people in, my, uh, in our community and people I know who are fantastic servers. Man, Ray Lynn loves to serve, and Stanley loves to serve, and there are people who, it's just like, it comes natural to them. They ooze serving. Jay was not one of them. And uh, in fact, you could tell that if you spent any time with him, because he immediately said, so I need a job, but I'm really looking for like a supervisorial job or a managerial job. He immediately was like, So I want a job, um, you also heard this, it's like, well, I'd like to be a head coach. So it was always, I don't want to serve on a team, but I want to be a head coach. So, and he was a master delegator. If he was, if you got up to the fridge, he waited, he waited, he waited, and then his request came. Ah, you're up, get me something. I love my brother Jay, but he's not our model today of service. Jesus is our our model of service, and I want to explore a little bit of what that looks like. Um, And I want to remind us of this anchor. I want to remind us of this calling. I want to remind us of this aspect of who we are. And we've spent a lot of time focusing, and I love this, um, the church for a long time got it really wrong that we didn't see ourselves as sons and daughters. We didn't see ourselves from an identity perspective, and we had to grow in that. But I think it's also a season and a time where the Lord reminds us and remembers our calling as servants. So in Mark 10, I want to start there. Multiple times you hear the disciples arguing in their group. Not only, I already mentioned the diversity in their group, but they were constantly arguing about who should be the most important. And it got even more intense as Jesus, towards the end of his life, was going to Jerusalem. They had in mind that Jesus was setting up his uh, political cabinet, if you will, setting up his 
earthly government. And so um, James and John were like, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. And one of the writers of the gospel records that it was actually their mother who made the request. Um, So it's like, well, mom, you go ask for us. I don't know. And Jesus then says this in Mark 10, uh, verse 42, where he's addressing this specifically with his disciples. They've been arguing about who's going to be the greatest in Jesus's kingdom. And he says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know, that's a good way for you that he starts, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then see this in verse 43, he says, not so with you. Not so with you. He's saying, my kingdom looks different. My kingdom, you're going to see examples of what the world and the Gentiles and the Romans and these other things are, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And I threw in the Greek word there for servant because I want to come back to that in our next slide. And then he says, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. And he uses a different word. And then he says this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Boy, he's he's saying these words to his disciples after he's journeyed with them for a while. Not early on, he's journeyed with them for a while, and he's helping them understand what it looks like to be in his kingdom. So I want to unpack those two words quickly, uh, the two words that Jesus uses in there for servant and slave. The first one he uses, um, uh, it's a diakone... Uh, I, I, I practiced it at home. You guys can read that. Diakoneo. There you go. I didn't get it right still. Um, but the idea of this word is to serve or to minister, and there's different usages, but a common one is someone who waits a table. So the idea of serving is like being a waiter at a table. Um, It's also the same word that's used for deacon in the New Testament as well. So this idea of ministering or serving, but serving uh, at the table. The second word that Jesus used in that was this word doulos, which I I believe you also get the word doula from uh, in uh, a common day usage of someone who assists in childbirth. Um, but that is a more strong word. It's a slave. A some, so it speaks almost of their condition, of their identity, not of what they're doing. This idea of, of the first word is what are you doing, you're serving. The other one is almost your identity, devoted to one another, to the disregard of one's own interests, a servant, an attendant. And so I just want you to keep those two words in mind as we go through, because you're going to see in some of our different passages the different usages of those words. But it's been, and I want to encourage us, it's, I believe that our, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we come into and serve our community best when we, when we walk in this way that Jesus is describing. When we serve, I find that he says, not so with you. And in other places, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, and whoever exalts, exalts himself will be humbled. But this idea of how do we approach the world? And I think at times we have been, and I have been critical, and we can be critical of approaching the the world in a lording manner. I think that serving 
in the world look so much better for followers of Jesus. We look so much different than the leadership of the kingdoms of the world when we serve. So the next passage, John 13, Jesus is with his disciples. So he, was, he talked to them once before about this and, and, and being different. So then he does it again at the Last Supper. And the three things I always remember about the, the, the two, the three things I remember about the Last Supper, there's probably more that I remember, but things that stand out. One is a meal, bread and wine. The second is Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And third, it's like Judas gets called out. For some reason, like those are the three things that pop out. Those are like three big things that stand out from this meal. But I love how practical and how every day Jesus is. In the last hours of Jesus' life, in the most important hours of his life, he's fulfilling the new covenant. He's establishing this new covenant. And he's like, I want to wash your feet. And we see that in John, John 13, starting in verse 12. John records, when Jesus... When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant, and he uses that doulos word, is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Man, one of the, th this idea of this significance of this act in the timing, he had years and years of teaching with his disciples. And at the end, they're still arguing about greatness. And he's like, maybe they're not listening. Maybe I'll just do something. Maybe I'll just wash their feet. Maybe that will stand out to them. So Jesus does an act, an action, something that people never forget. I love that in that setting and in that time, in that Passover intensity, when you could have all of this different teaching, Jesus does very simple things. In these most historic times that Jesus was in, these most historic times, he has a meal. He drinks wine, eats bread, washes feet. And it's those actions that we remember more. How about now? How about for us in these times, these heavy, weighty, big times, these historical times? What about us finding our emphasis, finding our emphasis in the body and blood of Christ, finding our emphasis in the washing of one another's feet? Jesus' people are called to be like him, to imitate Christ, and he came to serve. He came to serve humanity. So our calling, Jesus is our example, and he calls his disciples to that. Paul records in Philippians 2, he, he reminds the Philippian believers of this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now remember that. Think about the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He didn't have the same looking group of disciples. But it says, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Again, there's that word doulos, that, 
that slave, that someone who is here for someone else, who's disregarded his own calling or his own identity for a greater identity. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love Paul's reminder to us, having that same mindset as Christ, taking on the nature of a servant, humbling ourselves, that being part of yours and mine's calling as followers of Jesus. So we have these examples of Jesus, and then he talks in Matthew 25, he talks about markers, and and there's lots of different ways in which we see the kingdom explored in Jesus's stories. And one of those in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about separating the sheep and the goats at the end of time and identifying what are markers of sheep that, that are pleasing to the Lord, that, that have walked in the things that he's called them to. And what are markers of these goats that aren't walking in the things that, that the Lord envisions? And he says this in verse 37. He says, and, and he, he declares all these things over the sheep of what they've done and, and what, what their service looked like. And it says in verse 37, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I love that he's, he's emphasizing this calling. This, he's emphasizing this as markers of what his kingdom looks like. He emphasizes this as, as what he envisions his kingdom looking like caring for the least of these brothers and sisters. One more story about Jesus, and then we'll talk about some practical things. In Luke 15, Jesus is being criticized. Big, big surprise, right? Jesus gets criticized. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That's a great group of people. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Boy, we just see this passion and this heart in Jesus that he came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve humanity. He came to set aside this great identity and not lord it over, but set, take on this identity of a servant and serve humanity. And then he says, and I'm interested in going after that one. And, you know, we talked, I already mentioned earlier, 160 million votes cast this week. It's almost astounding. And the Lord cares about each one. He sees each one. He hears each one. He knows each one. We see Jesus' calling as a servant, and we see him calling us to do the same. We see Jesus' focus on going after the one 
and our focus of providing care and hospitality and acceptance. So the second area I want to explore with us are some practical things. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster gives some great examples of things that service can look like. And I put them up there. It's a big bullet list. I didn't have time to have them fly in, so I apologize. You have to read them all at one time. But I love some of the things that he includes. He talks about serving in hiddenness, serving in small things, guarding the reputation of others, not covering up things that need to be healed, but guarding weaknesses, being served. He talks about the need to being served by one another, common courtesy, hospitality. Oh, that's supposed to say bearing each other's burdens. There you go. There's my typo. Burden each other's burdens. Don't do that. Let's bear each other's burdens. Sharing the word of life with each other. He's specifically referencing this idea of waiting on the Lord for a prophetic encouragement for someone else. In our language, that's what he's saying. And then listening. And he orders it a little bit differently. But in these, I wanted to just remind us of a couple of things. He says this about serving in small things. He says, in the realm of the spirit, we soon discover that the real issues are found in the tiny, insignificant corners of life. Our infatuation with the big deal has blinded us to this fact. The service of small things will put us at odds with our sloth and idleness. He says this about needing to be served, being served. He says this, it's an act of submission. Remember, Peter was like, no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, I, I need to wash your feet, Peter. It's an act of submission and service to allow others to serve us. It recognizes their kingdom authority over us. We graciously receive the service rendered, never feeling we must repay it. Those who, out of pride, refuse to be served are failing to submit to the divinely appointed leadership in the kingdom of God. So here is where my brother Jay excelled. He knew how. He knew how to let people serve him. It was amazing. (laughs) Hospitality. I find it amazing in that Matthew 25 that Jesus says, inviting the stranger in. Richard Foster reminds us this. He says, there is a service of hospitality. Peter urges us to practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. Paul does the same and even makes it one of the requirements for the office of a bishop. There's a desperate need today for Christians who will open their homes to one another. And then bearing each other's burdens. Love is most perfectly fulfilled when we bear the hurts and sufferings of each other. Weeping with those who weep. And especially when we are with those who are going through the valley of the shadow. Weeping is far better than words. So I love those reminders. I love those things. These disciplines. This anchoring for us of serving this anchoring. And, and we saw in Jesus' life, he was serving humanity. And then he was also serving these people who were there, his close friends. He was serving across the board. This last one, I left listening for last. Richard Foster doesn't put it last, but I put it last because I wanted to look at uh, Luke 18. Last time I spoke, I said, go read Psalm 32. This week, I'm encouraging everyone, read Luke 18. 
and ask the Lord to speak to you. But I want to give you, uh, I've got a slide that quickly summarizes what I'm calling a chapter on listening. A chapter on listening. So we've got about uh, six different stories that happen in Luke 18. And the the first two are stories that Jesus tells. And the first one is God listening to a widow's cry for justice. It says in verse 7, and this, this widow is trying to get something resolved. She's been wronged, and she's trying to get something resolved with a judge. And the judge keeps ignoring her, but she keeps persevering and pressing in and pressing in till finally the judge relents and gives her what was due her. And it says this in verse 7, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? He's telling this story about this woman crying out for justice. And he says, how much better is our God than that judge who is ignoring her? Cry out for justice. He wants to bring justice, and he wants to find faith on the earth. The second story, the next one he tells is, and and I love this because it's God listening. God was listening to this widow crying out. The second story is God is listening to this Pharisee, to this tax collector, to this person who thinks they're so rotten. God is listening. And the Pharisee and this tax collector go up to the temple to pray, And the one says, thank you, Lord, that I'm so great. And the other one says, I can't even go close. I'm so bad. And he said, God listens to the confession of this tax collector. So God's listening there. The next story happens in real time. And there's a bunch of children that come to Jesus. And all of a sudden, his followers are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus doesn't have time for you kids. He's got more important things to do. He's got weightier things. He's got other stuff to do. And Jesus says, no, let them come. Let me touch them. Let me spend time with them. Jesus sees the children. The next story is kind of an odd one. It's a rich ruler who comes to Jesus and he's like, okay, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And in these other stories, you kind of see this engagement. Jesus kind of goes through this long dialogue with this guy and, but takes time to expose his heart and says, well, I think the real issue is you need to sell everything and come and follow me. But he engages, he hears the rich guy, but he doesn't necessarily give him the answer that he wants. He gives him a response back. And it shocks everybody. I think at that time it was like, well, richness meant good. Richness meant prosperity. Richness meant the Lord is blessing you. And, And he's like, and Jesus says, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he blows everybody away. He turns things upside down. And then listen to this, the next story. Jesus tells his own story. And he wants his disciples to listen to him, but they don't or they can't really understand. And Jesus says, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, be betrayed and be killed. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't compute. I don't think we're, we're listening to that. It's interesting, Jesus making himself vulnerable to his disciples, asking them to listen to him, and they struggle. 
And then the last story of the chapter, I want to read a little bit out of Luke 18 to give you a feel for this story. So all of this is happening, and in Luke 18, verse 35, it says this, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out. He must have called out loud because there's this big crowd that's going by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Man, Jesus is traveling in this big crowd in this historical time, doing all these amazing things and, 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 and changing the world. And he hears, he hears the blind guy on the side of the road saying, have mercy on me. I need to be healed. I need to be touched. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they praised God. Man, this is Jesus who came to serve. This is Jesus who came to hear. And I want everyone to hear this today. The Lord hears you. The Lord hears you. He hears your cry. He hears every heart's cry. God hears the cries of our heart. He came to serve and to seek and to save. And he still does that today. The Lord is hearing and his, his eyes are roaming across the world and the earth. And he's saying, who is crying out for each of us? Jesus is there to respond to our cry. He's there to serve us. He's there to respond. He knows that we're blind and poor and broken on the side of the road. He knows that. And he wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to anchor to Jesus serving us. That's one of our anchors. This anchor of service, yes, it's about us serving the world. It's also about us being anchored to the Jesus and the God that serves us and sees us and hears us. Today, the Lord sees you and he hears you and he hears your cry. And he doesn't care about the throngs and the crowds and everything that is big and historical happening. He says, I care about the one. I care about you. So the last thing I wanted to mention as we are exploring this idea of service, there's a passage in Ezekiel 34 where the Lord is challenged. Challenge, he's speaking about Israel's leaders and shepherds. And he's, he's not too all happy with them. And he says this, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? 
You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. And then he says this, you've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. And then the passage goes on and it talks about the Lord coming and caring, shepherding the people specifically. And it just reminded me as I was reading that passage, those words that Jesus is challenging his believers to, his followers, his church, us being shepherds, us being leaders in our time. I mentioned that that we have a calling of leadership. We have this practical area of leadership. And I believe the Lord wants us to view ourselves as shepherds and leaders in our land. And this is the call. This is the criticism that he makes of shepherds in the Israel time. And I think it applies to us. The calling is, are we going to strengthen the weak? Are we going to heal the sick? Are we going to help the injured? Are we going to bring back those that wander? Are we going to search for the lost? I believe those are things, those are the callings of the servants of the Lord. Those are the callings of us as a community. Lord, help us not to be harsh, brutal rulers, like Jesus called the Gentiles, these these harsh lording over. But Lord, let us be these servants that shepherd well and lead well. Lord, forgive us for when we've been selfish. Forgive us where we've dealt harshly or brutally. Lord, let us anchor to our calling as shepherds and those that care for your flock. So as we close here, I want to encourage us about this anchor, about us being anchored in this area of service, in this area of serving, this discipline, this calling. And if you're like Jay and you're like, this doesn't come natural to me, ask the Lord to help develop this discipline and this strength. Lord, help us to serve like Jesus served. Richard Foster challenges uh, us in this discipline of serving. He says it's not to be this self-righteous display, this display of things that are self-serving or fracturing or temporary or insensitive but serving, healing the sick, strengthening the weak, helping the injured, bringing back those that wander and searching for the lost. So I'd like to pray for us as we conclude today. I'd like to pray that, man, we will hear the heart of Jesus, that he wants to serve, and that he came to serve, and he came to serve you and me. He came to serve us. He came to serve humanity, and he hears the one. He hears the one every time. And I want to pray in these times in which we live, these historical times in which we live, we could be distracted by the big crowds. We can be distracted by the noise. We can be distracted by the comings and goings. We're distracted by COVID and the, restri- the challenges and the restrictions. We're distracted and challenged in these times. Lord, how can we hear the one? How can we listen? Like Jesus describes this listening God 
in Luke 18, this God who listens, this Savior who spends time with children, a God who listens. How can we serve one another? So let's stand and pray. If you're in the room, you can stand. If you're at home, you don't have to stand, but you can if you want to. Um, But I just want to pray for us that we could be anchored, that this could be one of our disciplines and our anchors serving. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus came to serve. And we're all, we're recipients of him seeing us and laying down his life. He says, I came to serve and be a ransom for many. He laid down his life. He ultimately served humanity. And we're recipients of that service. And so we just thank you. We thank you that you call us sons and daughters. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us that same calling, that same thing, that same heart, that same spirit that you that, that Jesus, you walked in, you've given us to walk in. And I pray, Lord, in these times that us as a church and us as people, you would help us to know how to serve, to walk in humility, how to love, and how to touch the one. We thank you, Lord, that you, you did it first. You showed us how it's done. I pray, Lord, that you would show us in this time how it's done. In Jesus' name, amen.